Well, if you have been with us, we have been making our way through the marks or the characteristics of a healthy church. And uh, I hope and pray it's been an encouraging one, but also one that challenges you and causes you to consider where this church is and where it might head. And not only that, it also hopefully encourages and prepares those of you who will go on to other churches as you grow up and move and have a family where God may direct your steps and that those are important things to which you are looking and evaluating the church to which you're going. And so I hope and pray those are encouragement, but also preparatory ways for so many different places in your life that you find yourself. This morning, we're going to finish that by coming to the last two together. It is prayer and missions. As we think about prayer and missions, there are many things that we might say. In fact, many things we've said in previous weeks and months and Lord willing, as our time finishes here, that we'll continue to recall upon those in the days ahead. But I want to read this morning from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, that I think is one of the places of Scripture that really pairs these two ideas well together. And so we'll take this word of the Lord this morning, and then we'll have a brief time of prayer, and then let's look to the word together. Hear now the word of the Lord, Matthew 9, beginning verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray now that you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are like good soil that would receive your word and that it might be planted deep within us and bear much fruit, showing ourselves to truly be your disciple and bringing you glory. We pray this for the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen. So this morning we are going to talk about the promise and the prayer that empowers missions. This last week in our nightly reading before bed, our family was finishing up a biography on maybe the greatest story I've ever heard of any missionary at any point, John Payton. John Payton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands there in the South Pacific. They're off, distant off the coast of Australia. He went to a people that were not only unreached and unengaged, that there was no one taking or had ever taken the gospel to them. These was a cannibal people. A people that he lived under constant threat of death and danger. He continually began to make inroads and ministering, but time and time again they would war up against him and threaten to drive him off or to kill him. It was a challenging work, one in which he saw his wife and child die. But by God's grace, he returned back and with another woman who had been called to be his bride and to go with him. And as we read through the story, I mean, night after night, I just kept thinking to the kids, man, how does someone have that level of faith? And maybe the truth is, as you examine your own faith today and considering your own life and time of prayer and that of our church, but also with missions, maybe the truth is that you and I will find ourselves dry if we rely upon our own heart for the passion for missions. Today, in fact, you'll find yourself defeated. Is it not working, brother? Okay, I'm sorry. Uh-oh. Whoa, yeah. Now it's on? There we go. Thank you, brother. Sorry, man. Thank you, guys. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm trapped. All right, there we go. There you go. So the truth is, right, as you, you contemplate and return back to where I was there for a moment, is that you'll likely find yourself dry. If you're relying upon your own heart for the passion for missions, you'll find yourself defeated if you're relying upon your own potential for missions. And today you'll find yourself discouraged if you rely upon your own power for missions. But that's why we don't look to ourselves, isn't it? That's why we look to Christ. That's why today I I want this framework of what Christ says to be etched upon your hearts and minds. I've been praying the Holy Spirit would do that work, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I hope and pray that verse 37 and 38 become etched upon your heart and mind. You see, this verse 35 and 38 finds itself in an important place in the midst of what Matthew has been doing. You see, prior to this text, all that we've seen in Matthew 9 is Jesus performing miracle after miracle. I mean, he's he's healing the blind and the lame. He's, He's casting out demons. He's raised the dead. He's calling outcast people like Matthew, the tax collector, to come and follow him. And then as you begin in chapter 10, Jesus begins to call and to send out the 12 apostles. And as they begin to go out, he reminds them, I'm sending you out. Like, 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 like. Well, I can't remember exactly what he says, so that's why I should read it, right? I'm sending you out of sheep in the midst of wolves, right? He's, he's sending them out. And so this moment here in 35 to 38 begins to provide so much of clarity about what Jesus has been doing and what he's now calling them to do. And in some way it begins to extend to us. Like this is what we are called to be a part of as well. And so today I hope and pray to, to present these three truths to you. First, receive God's heart for missional success. Secondly, rest in God's promise for missional success. Third, rely upon God's power for missional success. So again, if you're not there to Matthew 9 yet, I want to encourage you, turn there with me. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. We come to this first truth. Receive God's heart for missional success. Look what he says, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages... It says he's teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom of God or the proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he heals every disease and every affliction. I mean, it tells us some about Christ, doesn't it? I mean, that he's willing to go to the city and the outskirts, right? He's amongst the religious, but he's also amongst the rebels. He's proclaiming the gospel wherever he is. You might find him in Frankfurt, but you might also find him in Fry. He's, he's just, he is going continually to bring the gospel. But also notice that it says that he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That word proclaiming isn't just like saying, hey, brother, our sister, I got a piece of pie. I would love to share it with you. No, you need to think more about a first responder, an EMS person coming, rushing upon the scene to give aid. He is urgent in sharing this gospel. But finally, he also shows in the midst of this, right? It says that not only is he teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he's healing every disease and every affliction. He's the good and victorious king coming. It says to you and I today that he cares about your battle with cancer, but also with your cold. I mean, that's who he is. And and he he just continually comes to, to meet the people where they are. And he's bringing them the victory. But why is that? Look what it says in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. When he saw the crowds. I mean, that's important, isn't it? He sees the people. 
It was the missionary Jim Elliott who once said, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, wherever God places you, be all there. See the people, right? Put down your phone, take out the earbuds, be present where God has you. But not only that, notice what his heart is. When he sees the crowds, notice what happens. He has compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, consider this. That's the heart of the Savior, right? It's one of compassion. All these people, every every last one of them, they're just like us. They're sinners, aren't they? I mean, the truth is we all are also under the curse. These people, why? Because they have diseases and afflictions. This is a result of the curse of being in rebellion against God. Yet what is the heart of Christ in this moment? Do we hear him laughing and mocking and saying, serves you guys right? I'm not going to heal you guys. This is what you get for all your lying, your stealing, your gossiping, your greediness. No. What do we see in this moment of our Savior? When he encounters the harassed and helpless, it isn't condemnation, but compassion. Isn't that remarkable? That into this moment, it isn't condemnation for harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. It's compassion. I want to say that again for my soul and your soul, right? I mean, that's what at the heart of true missions. It is to receive the heart of our Savior. Who says to us as we were there in John 3 this morning, Brother Todd was sharing prior to us singing that first song, right? That I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He's saying, listen, I didn't come to say, listen, when you guys get your act together, then I'll rescue you. You know what? When that rap sheet gets a little bit better or you get a little bit better with that area of sin, then I'll be glad to be your savior. No, what we see is this is him coming in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their heartache, in the midst of their hurts. He doesn't withdraw from them, but he draws near to them. Beloved, could I encourage you with the words of Hebrews? It says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the heart of our Savior. It's just a moment, right? I mean, and again, that that word, this, this has to get down in our souls. Unless we encounter this glorious truth about this being the heart of our Savior, you might hear this message today and say, you know what, I need to go and do more. Preacher, you stepped on my toes. My intention is not to step on your toes. It's for God, the Holy Spirit, to do a work in our hearts. Only God can do that. Men and women can step on toes, but God changes hearts. I want us to gloriously look and gaze upon the Savior this morning. Let's see His heart begin to transform ours. That word compassion, it's a word that indicates like coming deep from down, like in their bowels. Like it is the deepest way of saying this is at the core who this person is. And isn't that glorious? That at the core of Christ's heart, at the core of God, is a heart of compassion and mercy and grace. You see, when you come to Christ, it's not like he's concealing something under his cloak waiting to stab you or to hurt you. Instead, what we hear is from his own invitation here in Matthew. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy burden. And I will give you what, church? Rest. It's rest. I mean, let's be honest. Aren't we all in need of rest? I mean, look back again. Look again. Take your eyes and and focus there on verse 36. He says that he, he sees the crowds. He has compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless. That word harassed indicates being bullied, being distressed. And it's not only that they're harassed, they're they're helpless. They they can't 
rescue themselves. Some translations say they're, they're cast aside. They're like sheep without a shepherd. But Micah chapter 5, verse 4, the prophet of old, prior to these days, has already said that there's going to come a day when God is going to send the good shepherd. Just as Adam led us there this morning. The good shepherd is going to come. And he's going to lay down his life for the sheep. He's going to gather those that are scattered and run amok and bring them back. In fact, it's possible today that hearing these words, harassed and helpless, it rings true for how you feel. You feel forgotten. You feel like used goods. You're good for nothing. This past Wednesday, I was reading an article in Kentucky Today, and there was uh, reports from our CDC and the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, and it showed that a whopping 57% of young women have persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness during 2021. That's up 36% from just 10 years ago. Even more concerning was that 30% of those women surveyed said they had serious thoughts of attempting suicide, and over 24% of them already had a plan. And the author says this. One of the researchers said, perhaps the most important topic in discipleship for young women are identity, purpose, and worth. Identity, purpose, and worth. Guys, to our young ladies here this morning, but all of us at large, that's what it means to be harassed and helpless in so many ways. The culture bearing in on you, social media, pressure, all of the things colliding and your identity, your purpose, your worth. You wonder, where will that ever come from? Where can I ever find that? that, Again, that's one of the reasons we sang earlier. My worth is not in what I own. It's not in what I look like in the mirror. It is not in the likes that I have or if I am in that group or out of that group. The church wants to say to you that if you want true identity, if you want lasting purpose, if you want eternal worth, It is found in the Christ. The answer our culture would say to you is look within, but the gospel always says look to Him. It's the hope of the gospel. To the young ladies in our audience, maybe this rings true, or maybe you'd say, Blake, I'm not a young lady, but man, that rings true of my life. Sadness, hopelessness, helpless. Nobody would notice it from the outside. I just want to encourage you. Come to Jesus and rest in Him. Come to Jesus. This is his heart. He sees the crowd. He sees our hopelessness and our helplessness. And he has compassion. And he comes. Maybe you're raising a teen or a grandchild and you're wrestling with things like, I mean, I don't even know necessarily what to talk. I would encourage a book we're working through right now in our home. Ten questions every teen should ask about Christianity. It's a really strong book. Maybe it'd be a great way for you and your family. Again, that should never replace the scriptures. But maybe it's an addition to to have conversations with what are my My children or grandchildren, what's that niece or nephew? Maybe what's that classmate of mine wrestling, dealing with? Those are great ways and answers to difficult things. I want to encourage us. Again, guys, it's not just young women that feel harassed and helpless. The truth is the culture in which you live, the people around you, they may be at your own kitchen table. This is what they're experiencing. Guys, we as the church must encounter this Savior and then go to them. That's what it is. The first call, again, is to come to Jesus and rest in Him. The second truth is this. Rest in God's promise for missional success. Rest in God's promise. Listen to what Matthew chapter 9 here, verse 37 says. Then He says to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Is that not shocking? Despite being harassed and helpless. Despite the fact that there are all these sheep that have no shepherd. Despite the fact that Jesus himself says the laborers are few. What does Jesus still promise? A plentiful harvest. He's in essence saying there are people right there next to you on your job. They're walking down the hallway next to you. It's that young lady across the register from you at the checkout. They are ready. But there's so few going. There's so few of us willing to open our mouths and have a conversation. I think, guys, we also must not miss in the midst of thinking about this harvest being plentiful. Look what he says at the end of verse 38. He says to send out laborers into his harvest. It's God's harvest, not ours. This means, just like the disciples, I can still hear the great African-American preacher, Dr. Robert Smith Jr. saying and reminding the church, we don't get to clean fish before we catch them. We don't pre-qualify who gets to hear this gospel. We are to be faithful to share the gospel wherever we go. It is the Lord's harvest. And consider in Matthew chapter 9, the likelihood is the disciples probably were thinking, man, that's probably not who I would have picked. I mean, you've got a paralyzed man, but in verse 2, it's that man and it's his friends whose faith is recognized. Or it's in verse 9, you have this outcast of outcasts, this tax collector who Jesus says, come and follow me, and he rises and follows him. It was in verse 18 that the ruler, Jairus, his daughter is dying, that he comes and pleads with the Lord. He just has faith. Or it's in verse 21 and 22, it's the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She's unclean. It's her that God welcomes in. Or at the end of verse 28 there, it's these two blind men who have faith. I think it's just this reminder again and again, it is the Lord's harvest. That is not the who's who. That's not the people you'd say, man, if I was starting a church, that's who other people I'd pick to start. But that's the work that God is doing. Beloved, I want to be gentle and say this to my soul and your soul. I think we all must be on guard against the sinful tendency to say, I want those people to come into God's kingdom. I just don't want them to come into our church. And you know what will keep you and me on the right track? It's to not forget that we too are harassed and helpless. It's to not forget that we are Isaiah 53 and 6. We all, like sheep, have gone, what church? Astray. And what did our Savior do? Verse 6 doesn't finish there. It says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity, the sin of us all. We can never forget that. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the urgency of the gospel this hour to you, dear friend. Maybe you're here and you are harassed and helpless. You are in Ephesians 2, verse 12. It says to us they are without God and without hope in the world. This morning I want to let you know that there is a God who brings hope to the helpless. And He does it by the sending of His only begotten Son who goes to the cross not dying for His own sin, but the sin of all those who will put their faith and trust in Him. Is that you? Is that you, sheep? Have you turned and gone your own way and found that it will never satisfy? This morning, the urgency of the gospel is come home. Come to Jesus and rest in Him. And as we go out to make disciples, let us rest in the promise of God that the harvest is indeed plentiful. It's plentiful. That's the promise. That's the trust that we have. This morning, as I began sharing about John Payton, again, I encourage you, man, begin reading. 
But as you find his story, it's just moment after moment of discouragement. Again, as I shared, it, his wife and his son die there on the field. We see him experiencing literally being on the run for his life. It seems like moment as God opens the door, then the door seems to slam. He learns a language and ministers to people, only ultimately to be sent and run off. And he goes to another island and he begins to learn a new language. And he doesn't get to see this harvest being plentiful, the tannies. But guess actually who does? It's a new mission man who shows up. That mission man was John Payton's own son, Frank. Guys. The harvest is plentiful. It's just the Lord's timetable of when. Our call is to be faithful in the field He has placed us in. It is God's responsibility to bring the harvest and the fruit. Let us not forget, again, the harvest is certain. And and as I was reading this week, uh, an article Desiring God, uh, author by the name of Andrew Knight, he writes a book, Window to the World, and, and he's talking about unreached people group, people groups across the world that no one's taking the gospel to. And, and he just asks them hard questions that maybe I thought in light of this text today, maybe we ought to hear them for ourselves. He asks questions like this. If you knew that 141,000 new unbelievers enter the world's global cities every day, but that 80% of them will never meet a Christian, or that for every unreached people group, there are 78,000 evangelical believers they'll hardly ever reach or even notice them. Or he asked this, does it concern us that when only one out of every 5,000 professing Christian goes overseas, that is a mere 0.02% when there are over 3 plus billion harassed and helpless unreached souls at large, will we not pray? Maybe you'd say, Blake, where would I even start? Well, one thing I might encourage you, just get a, buy a map. Put it up maybe in your home and begin to look at it and pray about it and talk about the nations with your family, with your grandchildren. He goes on to say this, that only $1.66 of every $100,000 of Christian income is actually given to the unreached. And only 0.05% of Christian income goes to international missions at all. So I wonder what will you do? What will I do? What will we do? Will you begin praying? Will you give? Will you be a part of the church sending? Or maybe God will call you to go. So this morning we remind ourselves, right, that we must first receive God's heart for missional success. It's a heart of compassion and love that moves us to worship the Savior. But we must also rest in God's promise for missional success. Finally, listen to this as the text comes to a close. We must rely upon God's power for missional success. We must rely upon God's power. What do we do in moments when we're discouraged or or defeated or despairing? Listen to what Jesus says. Then he says to his disciples, verse 37, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, therefore. This is one of those my boys be like, Dad said, therefore today. There it is. There it is. Therefore, in response to this abundance of harvest and the lack of workers, what are we to do? And Jesus says this, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We are to pray. And maybe you'd say, well, well, Blake, what does earnest prayer even look like? I think the Bible's full of it. I mean, you might meet a barren woman by the name of Hannah praying that God might give her and her family a child. 
Or you might meet the prophet Jonah in the belly of a fish, realizing that death soon awaits him unless God shows him mercy. Or you might encounter encounter the leprous man in Luke chapter 5 who falls down on his face and begs Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Or you might encounter the church in Acts chapter 12 that James had just been killed and Peter is now in prison away in the same fate. And what do we hear the church doing in verse 5 of Acts 12? The church is praying earnestly. You see, my point is earnest prayer is what God's people have always done. And the truth is it doesn't always originate of their own accord. My guess is Hannah wouldn't chosen barrenness. I'm guessing Jonah didn't want to be in the belly of the fish. He may love that you love that story, but I'm guessing he wasn't loving it at the moment. I'm almost certain that the man who had leprosy would have chosen not to have leprosy. I'm almost convinced that Peter, if he could have not been in that prison, as great as the escape was, listen, there's probably moments in there he's like, man, I I wish I could be somewhere else. You see, often God has to thrust you and I into hard places to teach us what earnest prayer looks like. To cause us to realize that we're actually helpless even though we're convinced otherwise. Notice what Jesus does in this call to prayer in verse 38 of Acts or Matthew chapter 9. Notice two things. One, who are we praying to? Listen what he says. Therefore, pray earnestly to who, church? The Lord. To the Lord. He's, he says there, he calls him later the Lord of the harvest, right? This, this is Almighty God who created heaven and earth. Nothing's too difficult for him. I had opportunity, Emily and I, we were away and at family wedding this past weekend. And, man, this, this gentleman walked up and he said, listen, man, when, when, when you prayed last night, it moved me. I said, well, brother, are you a follower of Christ? He said, I am. And we began to talk about what it means to follow Christ and, and what it looks like. And I was just in that prayer. I was just praising God that I'm not praying to some local tribal deity, but the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord of the harvest. The God of all the nations, as we sang a few minutes ago. That's whom we're praying to. And when we pray to Him, people hear that. Like, it's not you're not praying to some best guy you know or some super preacher. You're praying to the God of heaven and earth. Maybe we might consider again the old words of the 1600s hymn. Hear it again. Praise to the Lord. Who does prosper thy work and defend thee? Whom from the heavens streams of his mercy does send thee? Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Who with his love doth befriend thee? Secondly, don't forget what we are praying for. Look what it says again. Jesus says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to do what, church? Send out laborers into his harvest. Send them out. We're praying, God. And that looks like here, God, raise up more bus drivers. God, raise up more Wednesday night workers and teachers. God, raise up students to go to pagan universities to share and hold fast to the gospel. God, would you, would you raise us up to be bold on our jobs and not shrink back? God, that you would raise up more for Oklahoma or changers. or God, that you might raise up more missionaries. Can I just push on you a little bit in the midst of those prayers that you might have to first begin to deal with the heart issue? That when you think about those prayers, you're always thinking about other people and not you. When you're praying for God to raise up and send out more, it is the thought, again, always about others and them and not you. 
I'll be honest, I never dreamed when Brother Todd and I were praying years ago for God to raise up missionaries. I never dreamed it would be me and my family. I thought it would be some of you. And by God's grace, it still will be. The time just hasn't come yet. And it may come to your grandchildren. And they're going to struggle to leave Greensburg and the farm and all the memories and everything they know. And I hope and pray that your heart will be one to say, brother, sister, you must go, son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, friend, church member. Go. We will pray. We will support. We will give. We will love. Maybe you're struggling just thinking, I I don't know if I could even go this summer to Changers or Oklahoma or I could give. An old prayer I heard used to be once the people prayed, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. Maybe you'd start there. You see, church, I want to encourage you, don't grow discouraged when there are more needs than there are workers. Jesus has promised, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. God will raise up the people who will see the need and who will meet the need. Never forget, church, never forget what God can do with a few. Notice what he says there. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why? Because in Matthew 15, guess what the disciples do? There's this mass crowd of people. And they come to Jesus saying, how how are we going to feed them? Like, man, we we only got seven loaves and a few fish. Hear the words? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We've only got a few. And Jesus says, bring them to me. And he prays and he blesses them. And they feed 5,000 men. And that doesn't include all the women and children. Church, let us never forget what God can do in his hands with a faithful few. As it's been said before, little is much when God is in it. I hope that encourages and fuels your prayers to not grow weary and crying out to God. God, you, you, you said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, we need more workers in this area. God, we need you to raise up more. I don't know what it is in your area of life or what it will be for this church, but we can trust. Therefore, he says, pray earnestly. I, want to, I have to ask myself, is that often my first response? Or second or third or fourth or fifth? Or am I planning and thinking? And Man, how much time do I just give just getting on my face and crying out, God, raise them up. Raise them up, Lord. Send them out, Lord. So maybe you're here and this message is just striking a chord with you. You just say, man, I, I got some gifts and some strengths and I'm just not utilizing them. Maybe today you just pause as we finish here in just a moment. Just saying, Lord, show me. Show me where you want me to serve. Show me how I can be a part of what you're doing in your harvest. Maybe there's others in this room that you feel like, man, maybe something happened or Maybe you had hoped to serve somewhere and you just kind of got the feeling that you just really weren't needed. I just want to remind you, Jesus says otherwise. He says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. The truth is you are needed despite what may have happened or how you felt. So let this text begin to say, God, I've got to get back in the game. For others, I think we have to contemplate, man, as we think about this harvest being plentiful that we've not seen a plentiful harvest often here. We think about our baptisms. I had a buddy that shared with me recently that they had a dead mouse in their baptistry and had been there for a long while and nobody noticed. And he said it broke our church because in the place that should be life, there was death and we didn't even know it. 
And they began to see, I think they've had like five baptisms in the last three weeks. So the church just became broken. Crying out, God, would you save people? Lord, we long to see souls saved. We want to see them come into your kingdom. Maybe today God might just begin stirring that in your heart. Praying for souls. Crying out to God, Lord, the harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Raise up more. But Lord, we want to see a harvest. We want to see souls saved. I don't know what it is for you, but I pray in response to our Savior's words that you and I will begin to pray earnestly. So let's do that very thing. This moment we're just going to bow in prayer. And again, however the Spirit may be leading you, I want to encourage you that I'm going to lead us in a brief time of prayer. And then we'll go into singing our last song of just response. But would you bow with me just for a moment of silence, just you and the Lord praying to Him. said that the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few Father forgive us when we forget that the harvest is indeed plentiful that there are people right next to us maybe this morning or that we will encounter or meet tomorrow on our job or wherever we go Father let give us a boldness send to us Lord As Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. We who have experienced your compassion firsthand, who know it best. Father, let us see the harassed and helpless around us and the hopeless and let us go to them. God, would you raise up the laborers and send them out into your harvest? Father, you see and know what that is. Whether that's for changers or Oklahoma, whether that's a bus driver or a Wednesday night worker whether it's those who will be missionaries to distant and unreached lands. Father, you see and know all. And so, Lord, we just humbly pray the very words that our Savior taught us to pray to you, that you would send out laborers into your harvest. God, may we see souls saved. Lord, we we weep. We're seeing our baptistry dry week after week, God. Father, would you do a work of changing our hearts? That we begin to have boldness where we had fear. That we begin to share the gospel with anyone and everyone you place in our path here in Greensburg. Wherever you send us, God, I pray for a boldness. Lord, we, 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 we celebrate with those churches who are seeing baptisms and we rejoice and we know that ultimately it's your harvest. But Lord, we long to see it here. Don't pass us by, Savior. Let us see those days. And I pray, O oh God, for this church that its best days are ahead. I pray that you will strengthen it for the days and the years ahead that I will and my family will hear joyous reports 
that Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. God, strengthen this church. Fill it with your Holy Spirit, oh God. Strengthen your people. Let them ponder anew what the Almighty can do. God, may you do the work. Please, Lord, deep within us. We love you, Father. We thank you that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, and therefore we have you to come to. And we cry out humbly to you today that you would send out laborers into your harvest. Strengthen your people, God. Grip their hearts. Let them not shrink back from the convictions that you have placed upon them this morning during this time. And may they go and be faithful laborers into whatever vineyard and field that you send them. We pray this for the glory of your kingdom that is coming. And the church said, Amen. This morning we invite you again to sing with us. To the unbelievers in the room, maybe you feel that harassed and helpless. I compel you that there is a Savior whose heart is one of compassion and He sees you. This morning might you come to Him. Come and find rest. To the church, let us be obedient. To our Savior, to pray and to go and take the gospel. Would you stand with us this morning and sing? Brother Todd.